0: So welcome to this is now episode three of the Phase Forever podcast. Episode two with my amazing host co-host today. Now that he's finished singing Asgardian folk songs on a on a train carriage, it's everyone's favourite God of Mischief, Rob White. Hello, um, Rob. How you doing, man?
1: Yeah, I'm good, dude. Uh, yeah, nice and nice and chilled Saturday today. Sun is out. Uh, Xbox came earlier, so it's all good. It's all good. How are you?
0: Yeah, good, good. It's been a nice week. Like we were talking before we came on air, it's been my birthday this week, the big twenty-seven, which has been nice. I feel I feel very old. <laughs> um, I feel very old. It's been very depressing, but it's been good. So uh, yeah, I've been to the cinema. Went to the cinema this week, which we'll discuss in a minute. Oh, nice! A nice little birthday present. Um, it's nice to get out. But no, it's been it's been good. It's been. It's been a good week since we last spoke. there's obviously a little bit to discuss. Um, yeah, actually, for sure. New episode, Loki, we've had, I know your Shang Chi hype is probably greatly increased since the last time we spoke after the Unreal trailer that dropped. But uh, yeah,
1: been rubbing my hands. It. I tell you what, literally.
0: Before we get into our little intro, let's just not schedule, but like, let's just have a little two minutes discussing that. What, what were your thoughts on that trailer?
1: Uh, it was a different tone to uh, the prior trailer, and um, it was badass, uh, really badass. Um, it's like I said to you last time, I'm really looking forward to just, just people getting their asses whooped, some really good martial arts, and um, it's just reinforced that uh, that people are going to get their asses whooped, and I can't wait. It's, yeah, definitely. Um,
0: the, the, the... I think I tweeted after the trailer came out that I think they've they've gone all in on like trying to make this like phenomenally well choreographed mm-hmm. with the fighting sequences. Um, and they've brought in people, including Simulu's playing Shang-Chi, they've brought in people who can really handle that workload. I think it's going to be incredible. Um, we won't get to it, but obviously there was a lot of Easter eggs in that trailer as well with uh, Abomination from the Incredible Hulk movie. He's at the end. Yeah. Of what? How?
1: I've no idea, no idea just, how this is going.
0: to I'm just here for. It. At this point, I'm just like, you know what? Just, just fucking give me whatever you want. Throw in whatever I'm, you want. I'm what down. What
1: percentage I'm, of people do you think of are into Marvel films actually watched the Edward Norton Hawk?
0: Okay, so I like to be a little bit topic early on, but I'm going to give, give you a hot take. So, Go on. I might have missed a movie or two. I think there's, I think so far in the MCU, not including Black Widow, there's 23 movies. Might be 24, but I think it's 23.
1: Okay. Uh
0: The Incredible Hulk is a lot better than people will remember. Really? Edward, Do you the think Edward, the Edward Norton Hulk movie? I like. I don't think it's. It's not like a. It's not a top 10 movie. You know.
1: I mean, Edward but Norton's good in it. I I
0: I I fuck with that movie, man, really hard. Like. Yeah.
1: I this this fun. is a. It's a bit off tangent again, but you can edit this out if you don't, or, or keep, it yeah, um, keep it in. But it. you know the whole Edward Norton being replaced by Mark Ruffalo thing. Did Edward Norton step aside, or was was that a push by Marvel that he uh, needed I, to be? I think it
0: was a. I think it was a bit of both. I think if I remember rightly, because I remember listening to a, uh, I was listening to like a big MCU rewatch pod called Binge Mode, um, and when they covered the Incredible Hulk on their, the episode dedicated to that, they covered it, and I, I think it was. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, Norton and Kevin Feige couldn't really come to an agreement on new wow. like, role, I think. Um, and a, if also I remember rightly, he Edward Norton has a tendency to sort of t- try and touch up a lot of the scripts he's involved in. I heard that, uh, yeah. That Marvel were just a bit like, no, like we don't want our actors like digging into that side of the creative process. So I think it was, I think he was pushed a little 50. bit.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, poor. poor he hasn't. He hasn't done badly for himself. He's done pretty so, well for himself. You know, you know
0: he's, <laughs> he's a critically acclaimed actor. He's very highly respected. But uh, yeah, man, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's one of those like sliding doors moments where you just like, what does the MCU look like if?
1: That's crazy. I can't. Like, yeah, that now that so was well. that was the thing. I think when I saw that in the trailer, I was like, I can't believe. That that character from that un- pretty much unknown film is is in this film. <laughs> yeah, they just they love it. They're just dropping those little
0: Easter eggs in for people. Yeah, it's great, you know, and yeah, it's, much, it's exciting. It, it, it looks like he was fighting um, Wong from um, Doctor Strange as well.
1: Yeah, one of my favourite characters from that film. Exactly. And not just from that film, but, like, you know, Wong is is so good. He's so funny. As, as secondary and
0: characters come in the MCU, he's phenomenal. Just
1: brilliant. Yeah. yeah, not not a throwaway comedy second character at all. Just a all-round great guy. I'd definitely go for a drink with Wong, 100%. Yes,
0: we'll do that. I think, I think we should do, like, a, a future segment of, like, what is our MCU, like, trip to the pub?
1: Oh, Yeah, yeah. Well Wong's got some wicked stories.
0: Yeah, Wong's definitely coming. 100 <laughs> percent Wong's definitely coming. And I feel like he'd also like buy the round quite a lot. Oh,
1: yeah. He's he just magic magic dude. money. If I was buying that guy around I'd be pissed because I mean he can magic money, so why am I spending money?
0: Come exactly. on, Wong. What are you doing? Well, that was the weirdest off topic we ever got. <laughs> so let's 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 bring it back around. Um mm-hmm. what you've been watching this week, man.
1: I've been watching, I'm still binging The X-Files, um, to be honest with you. Uh, something happened midweek where I bought an Xbox and um, I sold my PlayStation um, because of money and I needed the money. Um, so I for two or three days, I didn't have anything to watch anything on. I don't really use my laptop uh, for that kind of stuff. So I just read and listened to music. But outside of that, it was just binging The X-Files. I haven't watched anything new. It's been it's been one of them. I just I just really want to absorb as much of the X Files again as possible. It's like comfort food for me. Um, I have now completed it. I've now watched all of it. Um, I have now watched the new series, the last series, which I'd never seen before, um, and I've seen the final episode of the. Have
0: you seen the final episode of the X Files? As in the like the, the rebo- very
1: last the reboot the very last right, episode. No, I've, not,
0: of- I've not watched any of it.
1: Oh, okay, would recommend. Seriously, I've, I watched some of the reviews online when they came out, and I was like, mm. and I, I love the original, probably first five, maybe six series of The X-Files, gold. Yeah. Um, but I, we have watched the reboot stuff, and it's all really good, um, especially just the, the more throwaway episodes in the middle of the series are just really funny. There's one scene especially where Mulder is asleep at a graveyard, and his phone wakes him up, and his ringtone is the X Files theme. And I was just like, <laughs> "Amazing!" But yeah, yeah I, no.
0: I, I've got a, <laughs> I've got an interesting relationship with X Files because after I think it's uh, I think it's I think it's season five, season six, and then there's the first X Files movie, isn't there? Yeah. So until then, love it, love the first movie, and then after that, mm-hmm. I just I just take it or leave it.
1: I think because what happened was they they had to make the movie and the series six or seven at the same pretty much simultaneously um and i think that they they kind of ran out of they had think it's 24 episodes a series right if you've got five series of 24 episodes and a movie that's a lot of content for you to constantly for the writers room to constantly keep creating stuff i think they just got burned out um and i think the actors got a bit burned out there's a series i think it's nine or eight where um Mulder is it David Dev, I can't remember David's surname now yeah he, he steps aside and, and hes I think he, he basically just done with it at that point point. and that series not just because of his loss but because of the writing and it was just boring as hell so yeah you're right it does definitely reach a point within that original up to the film probably correct and I like the film too um, and then after that it does somewhat go down but I still have a level of warm feeling for it so even when X-Files is absolute shit i will probably still watch and enjoy because um i don't know it's a homely show but sorry too much x-files what have you been watching jack
0: uh, any any x-files chat is good chat because like i said my my thoughts on like the first its original run that first like six seasons and then the movie and obviously Mm -hmm. it does get burned after that but that that first sort of block of the x-files is incredible comfort food watching
1: yeah, um, I think
0: it's, so. The, like you said, there's such warmth to it, um, and even when it's bad, and there are some bad episodes of television in there, um, <laughs> there's, some, like, oh, there's some absolute thinkers. Even when it's bad, it's it's still enjoyable, and there's there's a lot of nostalgia with watching that. Um, in terms of what I've been watching, I, so I finished. Uh, I think you saw my Instagram post last night. I finished my Clone Wars rewatch. Oh yeah, it's like the fifth time I've watched Clone Wars now. Wow. um i just love it man it's so good and i mentioned last night it's i think there's a because i briefly mentioned this with luke when i was talking to him last week there's, there's a lot of people i think that can be put off by um animation and i sort of understand it in a way people are much more used to seeing live action and will just sort of associate animation or cartoons with with something for kids and you know much like almost all of star wars clone wars it's you know it's still it's aimed for kids um mm-hmm. but there's there's such an amazing amount of world building in that show and it gives you the chance to really sort of sit back and explore a lot of the lore of that world we get all sorts of new characters but obviously we get so katana and stuff and we really get to dive deep into sort of Darth Maul and um we get a lot of the backstory with the clones and stuff and how yes they're all you know genetically identical but they all have these amazing personalities and stuff and and that really ramps up towards the end of season seven and we've now got the bad batch show which i know you've not you've not caught up on yet uh yeah but uh urge everyone to watch that as well it's, it's just the sort of spiritual successor to the clone wars um so yeah i've been on a big big star wars vibe recently so i finished the clone wars last night which was great and um as I mentioned earlier, I went to cinema and saw uh, *Quiet Place* Part Two. Oh, lovely thoughts! I really enjoyed it. Um, really enjoyed it. I went in quite sceptical because I'm, I'm never particularly wild about sequels to things that are very feel very original. Um, and the first *Quiet Place* film worked really well as a movie for me. I thought it was really well written, really well executed. Um, it, it, it was quite similar in way to how I felt when, um, and it's obviously a bit different. But when The Last of Us Part Two was announced, yeah, it's a bit different. Obviously, The Last of Us, the original game, was one of my probably is one of my favorite games of all time. The Quiet Places is my favorite movie of all time. But it was this incredibly original story that I just thought I'm happy with that. I don't I don't need more. This world was yeah. beautiful, and I've spent my time in it. And it was fantastic. Last of Us Part Two came out, and it was that is my favorite game of all time. And this, in a similar vein, it came out and I was like, you know what, this was actually great. I didn't, I didn't think I wanted it. I didn't think I needed it. But yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy I've got it. And I Fair think on. now there's a, I think there's a Quiet Place part three, I think in the making now as well. Um,
1: I, I feel like, you know, if you make an original IP, you probably, you might expect a medium-sized audience, but if you get a huge global reception to something, you are definitely making a sequel, whether you want to or not. Because whether the original intent was to just tell one story, you are 100% going to want to make more money. Or at the very least, the studio is yeah. going to want to make more money. Yeah, I haven't seen Quiet Place 1 or 2. Um, yeah. Just haven't. I'm a horror movie fan, so I can't tell you specifically why. It's just one that's um, slipped under the radar. And I never played The Last of Us 2 because I felt like the ending to The Last of Us 1 was ambiguous for a reason and I don't I don't feel like I need to see any more of those characters lives um with that said I probably will end up playing two and probably will end up loving it but and another reason I didn't play two is because it looks really fucking dark it's and really dark. and I and during the pandemic last year the last thing that I needed was a depiction of a grim future where what most of us were dead and the the only thing to live for is revenge. Yeah. Um, if, um, if the so. <laughs> first last of the game is
0: about love, the, the second last of the game is is very much about hate and revenge. Um, and yeah, so I can understand why you've why you've sort of swerved it in the last the last eighteen months we've had. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it will
1: happen in the future when I inevitably buy a PS five, um, but. Hey, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm I do love getting into the zeitgeist and experiencing the same thing as other people do. I do buy things. Don't get me wrong. I'm sounding like someone who, you know, is some somewhat of a maverick when it comes to watching and playing things that other people do. Cause lots of people will listen to this and think, "How have you not played The Last of Us Two? If you liked the first one, have you not seen the reviews online? Have you not seen the love it's getting on Twitter?" But I, on it from an emotional point of view, just don't feel ready to accept that that next part. Um, and I will do eventually; it'll happen, but not right now. I'm okay. It's not. I'm not saying um, woe is me. It's just I'm not. I'm not quite ready. I w- it'll happen. It'll happen when it happens, and I'll probably enjoy it. And I probably definitely will enjoy it. But
0: yeah, definitely will. It's it's, it's it's very bleak, but it's a it's a phenomenal game. It's a phenomenal experience. Um... Bleak's
1: good. I like bleak sometimes
0: yeah <laughs> so you haven't seen quiet place quiet place part two or played last was part two one of the things you have seen is loki episode three
1: i have and i have thoughts yes. many thoughts
0: so i i also have many thoughts um
1: uh,
0: i thought it was really interesting it was it was much slower than the previous two episodes we've got and it it didn't obviously it didn't pay off the sort of cliffhanger we got at the end of episode two the variant um but I didn't mind, I enjoyed it. It, Of the three episodes we've had so far this season, I'd say this one probably was my least favorite. Um, but I still really enjoyed it. It was a very sort of character focused episode. It was really introducing you to, to Sylvie, um, this new character we have played by Sophia DiMartino. Di and it was really building her into the world um, and building that relationship that is existing between these two, what I think we still assume are two versions of the same entity, these two Loki, Loki entities. Um, and I, I, so I did enjoy it. It was my least favorite of the three so far. Um, but I thought it was very well written. Um, there were some interesting things in it that I want to discuss, um, Mm. particularly as, as it comes to sort of Loki's power set. I have some, I have some questions. Um, and it didn't really move the story forward very much. And in a, in a limited series, in a six episode run, um, I think you're making things slightly harder for yourself by putting this episode in there. Um,
1: this, is but- my, this is my huge problem with the episode for me. Um, this is an enjoyable piece of media on a 24 series, episode series. You have six episodes, what are you doing having a filler episode here? Like this, this for me, I didn't enjoy it. I really didn't. I thought that I, I spent I spent quite a lot of the time watching it, thinking, should I look at my phone now? Which I had never crossed my mind, episode one or two. And I think there's no threat. There's no threat that either of those people are going to die on that planet. There's no threat that the people on the planet are even that real, because it's established that it's happened like in, you know, reality, like how time works, things happen, have happened and will happen in a circular motion. As soon as you explain that to an audience, why do I care that these people are going to die if you are repeatedly telling me the apocalypse has happened, will happen, will happen again? So the focus of the episode becomes, well, what's happening between the two main characters in this episode? And what's happening is Loki is being the same person with no character progression and Sylvia Sylvie is not really explaining why what she's doing or who she is she's like a a brick wall and I know that's intentional and I know that not everyone in the world is like here is who I am immediately but I wanted something some form of oh I think the one thing we did get that I did like was the revelation that the, all of the people in the TVA, or most likely all the people yes. in the TVA, are replicants or variants. They're not created by some demigod from matter. They are human beings, effectively, that have been pulled and their minds been wiped, or there'll be a memory thing. Yeah, so um, I
0: want to touch on this in a bit, because this this is I, I think that was probably the most important part of the episode. We didn't get Sylvia's grand plan um well we'll we'll cover it now i mean we didn't get sylvie's grand plan but we did get this revelation that everyone who works in tva is a is a past is a human being who was a variant Mm -hmm. and we assume they've had their minds wiped like you said um and to me that sort of completely confirms that the tva is the villain of this show yeah because these people are essentially slaves they've had their free will taken from them if free will exists in a world where We're all on a seemingly set course. Um, But they've had who they are pulled away from them. And they're now these, you know, agents of something, whoever's behind the TVA, whatever's behind the TVA, that these agents of these things, but they've themselves lost their agency. They've been taken away from their own paths.
1: Do Um, you think this is why Owen Wilson likes jet skis?
0: Yes, I, I think it'll be something to do with, like... I can't tell if it'll be something that they'll make try try and make quite like um, emotional. There'll be some part of his variance that was involved in a jet ski, jet ski, some sort of like quite heart wrenching moment, or it'll be something much more irreverent, like he was a jet ski salesman or something. Which
1: <laughs> I'd love that to be. Fair. I'd love that. I, I can't
0: tell which way they, they're going to go, but
1: they could they could do a mix of the two and have it so that a jet ski killed his family. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> it'll will tie in.
0: As long as we get at the end of episode six? A, a post-credit scene of Owen Wilson riding off into the sunset on his brand new jet ski. I'm good. It's um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it, I think that definitely will tie in. Um, but and I think that revelation to me clearly painted the TVA and the timekeepers or whatever's going on there and. And I thought it was interesting in terms of, we discussed it last week, but um, Ravonna Renslayer's character, when they were in the, um, when her and Mobius were in her office and he was sort of pointing at the different objects on the wall saying, oh, I don't remember bringing that in. and She was like, oh, it's a, another analyst I've got on the side and stuff. Um, I'm assuming this has always been Mobius and his memory's constantly been wiped because he, yeah. he is a, a TVA agent who there's something about him that can just is sort of breaking through this mind wipe. He still has this sort of connection to jet skis and, you know, whatever it may be. And there's there's something about him that's questioning everything that's going on. Uh, So I think he's constantly been wiped quite a lot. Um, And I think, I I think episode four, I'm assuming, um, I'm assuming what's going to happen is the TVA are going to somehow rescue Loki and Sylvie from this planet, and episode four, and will be them trying to sort of free Mobius, if that's a phrase we can use.
1: It's interesting, actually, you've said that because you, I would have thought that you, okay, so there's an online theory that I was pretty much sure that you would have seen, but it sounds like you haven't seen, and that is that the second third of the, the whole episode is imaginary.
0: No, not seeing this. Elaborate, please.
1: Okay, cool. So, right. Um, so Sylvie captures or kidnaps C20 in the previous episode. And in this episode, you see scenes of them at a bar in some lovely paradise somewhere. And Sylvie is trying to extract information by pretending that she is her friend. And, um, and it's all in her head. Sylvie in the real world has her head, her hands around um, C20's head. And is projecting the imagery to try and spur a, a form of mental psychosis that will reveal the, the information that she's looking for. The ongoing theory that I've seen online is that there is a point in the episode where Sylvie tries to do the same to Loki and nothing happens. And Loki goes, Oh, was, what are you doing? Is this and she goes, Oh, okay. So it's 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 because. Basically, there's a point in the episode where Sylvie puts her hands around Loki and tries to do the same thing that she did to C20 on Loki. And Loki it doesn't work. And Loki explains that It's probably because his, his brain is too powerful. He's too smart, man. He's too powerful. We're not going to work. And then the episode continues. And from there, Sylvie re- reveals nothing about herself. Loki reveals everything about himself. And it could very well just be a ruse. Um, don't be surprised if the next episode pulls the blinds and goes, By the way, guys, this was all just an extraction method. Um, because they are now on a doomed planet, there's no physical way for them to get off the planet, and uh, Marvel love pulling the rug, so yeah, the, that's the ongoing theory that it's I all in, in it, the headspace I, I
0: haven't hadn't seen that theory, you, you explained it very well, and it does make sense. I took that moment uh where she does sort of try and sort of put the illusion on loki and, and and get get into his mind so to speak um and he sort of bats it off i sort of i sort of took that as just a sort of a, a nice little moment of sort of comic relief uh, but that does make sense and i do think we're interested to see if that does pay off um because i could see that um i think my only issue with that is it just sort of adds more questions to me about what is the goal of of this character what what is she trying to do so we've seen that she's done this sort of bombing of the timelines and that's not really been explained yet when we're not really sure what the reasoning behind that is because she sort of said she doesn't want to uh doesn't want to bring down the timekeepers or anything but i'm not sure what getting all this information out of loki would also before as well
1: I thought that she was not trying to, because Loki wants to replace the timekeepers and be king of the castle. When he explains that to her, she explains that she, Sylvie doesn't want to rule. She doesn't want that. But she does still want to kill them mm-hmm. because the first thing she does after dropping the bombs is go straight to the TVA. And also there was another thing that I saw about how, you know, the door is open long enough for Loki to go through. And the yeah. speculation was she's left it open long enough for him to go through well clearly in episode three you can see she fucks off immediately she's not waiting around for him he wasn't supposed the door just happens to be open for that long which I thought was kind of I was kind of hoping that she had left it open but if you think about her actions leading up to that point in episode two it does make more sense for her just to be like go away I don't need you but yeah I think she's straight up going to kill them oh well, that was her plan um and I wouldn't be surprised if, um, yeah, if this is all just a ruse. Um it also would make sense. You know, you were talking about Loki's powers. I yeah. imagine you're going to want to discuss his uh, ability to stop that massive building or whatever it was that was falling on him.
0: Yes, um, does Loki have a time stone? Did he take a time stone?
1: I don't think so. Uh, I just think that Loki has always been a character where he just goes magic whatever magic can do I can do that that's what they always do There's, I mean if if you sat with a pen and paper and you watched that character and his powers through all of the series and you wrote down each power you probably get through two pads of paper this just like it's it pulls things from energy he disappears things he can teleport but not into a specific place into a random desert for some reason like it's a screenwriter's trick unfortunately it's a great one and I don't not enjoy it but yeah don't don't be surprised if the screenwriter if we had the screenwriter of that bit in on the show right now just stepped up went yeah we just thought it'd be cool
0: yeah I think think it's 99.9% much more likely than him having taken a time stone because We've spoken about you know the Infinity Stones before, and I think Marvel wants to move away from them being the crutch that they sort of they used to stand on. Um, so him taking one would just sort of bring all that back, and it doesn't feel necessary. But there was yeah, there was there was something about that whole <clears throat> the sort of movement of him sort of stopping the building and those not being able to see his his sort of front and what he was sort of using to stop it. I thought it was quite interesting, but you know we've seen the countless marvel products by now they like to get people talking about these things they like to get to to discuss and
1: speculate if this is inside of his head then sure
0: yeah because he's he's covered (laughs) the infinity stones of course and that actually in fairness thinking about it really does add to that theory um there's been, there was a little featurette they released yesterday on, on uh, Instagram, like an introduction to, to Sylvie and some little sort of behind the scenes interviews with Tom Hiddleston and um, and DiMartino. There's a few clips which haven't aired yet, which we'll assume are from episode four, and it has both of them in the TVA. Um, ah, okay. So this is where I sort of pull back from this theory that we've been discussing whereas it sort of looks like at the start of next episode it looks like they're just sort of going to get rescued by mobius they've been found mobius knows to look for them in apocalypses he's probably made that connection they'll get found they'll be in the tva and the story will move on how Uh, is
1: sylvie going to end up that's going to be an interesting loop because they surely want her dead she's killed loads
0: of them i think they i think this sort of leans into this whole well the TVA probably want her dead, but what does Mobius want is because Mobius seems to have some sort of agency about him. He isn't quite as cold and ruthless as Ravonna Renslayer seems to be. And the timekeepers, he seems to be, you know, he, he erased in episode one, he erased that little girl from the timeline when they went back to that church. Oh yeah. Good point. He was clearly like very attached and caring and he wants to understand people and help people. Um, and I can see Mobius trying to bring Sylvie in to talk to her and understand and learn about her and learn what her motivations are. Um,
1: I suppose he brought Loki in and he'd seen all the horrible stuff that Loki had done before. Um, yeah, he even then, referenced then, it then, when he brought it in.
0: So. He madly
1: at love. So. <laughs> <laughs> <And that's laughs> um, that is a great bromance, to be fair.
0: Coming on from that, I do, I do want to mention one thing. It has no real bearing on the story. But I thought it was really important. Um, Lots of people have discussed it since Wednesday, but uh, the MCU has its first openly bisexual character. Yes, nice. Um, It's taken them a long time. I know we've got uh, Tessa Thompson's come out since Thor Ragnarok and said that uh, her character Valkyrie is bisexual. Um, And uh, Brian Tyree Henry is going to be in the upcoming Eternals film as a character called, uh, I think it's called Fastos. Um, and he's an openly gay, gay character. Uh, he's not coming to the MCU yet. Tessa Thompson isn't technically considered canon yet. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, representation matters. Uh, the MCU's existed since two thousand eight, so they took their time a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a long time. But uh, yeah, I mean, as someone who uh, as someone who is bisexual, uh, but, yeah, these things matter. And it's it's nice to see uh acknowledgement on on you know it's one of the biggest shows in the world at the minute in terms of viewership it's nice to see acknowledgement from a character who is very 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 well established I think mm. compared to and it's not to discredit you know Brian Tyree Henry's character in Eternals or anything like that but he's a he's a brand new character who we have no real knowledge about him so yeah I, it's great but Loki is one of the most popular characters of the MCU, um, and to to sort of finally confirm that not only he's gender fluid and he's bisexual, um, yeah, I think it's great. It doesn't have any real bearing on the story, but you know, representation matters. So I'm just happy. Rep-
1: representation does matter. I I'm, I um I enjoyed it. I mean I. Obviously, we don't get too too political. Um, I feel like um, I get a bit uncomfortable when corporations use leftist stance to sell products. Um, Bear in mind, Marvel is still heavily linked to the military um, and has edited scenes before to feature new military products to sell military products. So I do feel a little bit like, how much do they really care about bisexuals, gay people, LGBTQ2+, plus, uh, but ultimately representation does matter. And at the end of the day, if you were 14, you know, and you were feeling a bit confused about your sexuality, it is, it would be affirming to see someone in something this big who shared, you know, your sexuality it would be, it would feel, I mean, I, I remember when I went to see Wonder Woman at the cinema um and there was this little girl who was running up and down the aisles with a sword and a shield and i just thought how many action films did i see when i was that age but it was all just white straight dudes like the, there's so many people who want to feel represented i mean the the population is like 50 percent women and it i mean wonder woman was still a huge deal and that film didn't come out long ago um so yes it does matter and and yes i was Kind of, you know, part of me was a little bit like, did we not already establish this?" I mean, Loki is pretty camp when, oh, he's, when he's, moments he's arise.
0: Always been very, very clearly bisexual. Um, is this I
1: not? If you, if I right thought this was already established. Before, you know,
0: you haven't been paying attention. He's very clearly bi. Um, he loves his camps, his yeah. capes, and uh, he, he's you know, you know. He's, he's a he's a very camp, you know, male character. Uh, yeah. But no, they, you know, it's finally confirmed, it's great. And to, to top off what you, you were just saying about um, Wonder Woman and also to talk about, you know, sort of Marvel as a whole as well. Um, but Marvel has shown in the past they have a tendency to be quite ham-fisted with these sort of representation yeah. scenes. You know, eventually one of the ideas I have for this podcast is for me and you to do a sort of episode-by-episode episode, sort of big rewatch of the MCU. Um We'll do that with, you know, side note. We'll do that with lots of other stories. We we'll do it with Star Wars. We're going to do it with The Matrix. Loads of stuff. Cool. But when we get to Endgame, uh, there's obviously the the scene at the in the big fight at the end the, the she has help scene, where every female hero of the MCU sort of comes together, and it is very ham fisted. Um, but at the end it's of the day, nice. at the end of the day, we're too like, I'm, too, you know you know mid-20s white dudes on a podcast if you're a 13 year old girl and you see that scene if that inspires you fuck it that's all that matters yeah no i if agree it ultimately I it's a bit ham-fisted or you know someone on roger ebert.com thinks it's a bit silly <laughs> who gives a fuck who gives a no. fuck it ain't for you, it ain't I you. Agree. It's, for, it's for a kid at home who's watching cinema who wants to be inspired by these movies This is
1: one of the biggest learning things that um, if you're a white dude and you're growing up and you're learning about yourself, the world and politics, and you're at that kind of formative age, one of the biggest things that I learned, especially in my very early 20s, was that, believe it or not, not everything is made for you. Like, I know this might be a huge shock to you, listener, but not every piece of art, not every piece of music, film and tv created was made for you and if you disagree with it on some level because you don't feel attached to it that's okay you know that's okay that's fine but don't go online and shed hate and abuse because something isn't specifically built for you because there are lots of people who are in minority groups who have minority faiths and are part of the lbgq2 plus community who don't feel represented, and you know what? Most movies that Hollywood pumps out are directed towards you as a white dude in your formative age. So it's okay just to feel like you are. This was not made for me because lots of people feel like that about lots of things that you haven't even started to consider.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's really well put. um We're going to move on to our final segment in a minute, but I'm just to sort of give one like closing thought on this particular topic within Loki um and to sort of round out what you were saying earlier about if you're a 14 year old kid who's questioning everything uh you know Kate Heron is the director of the show she wanted to to confirm this she herself is bisexual and uh, if I'd seen a superhero when I was 14 and was having these thoughts it would have made things a lot easier for me so at the end of the day that's what matters Uh, 100% and yeah I think it was really well done. So, right, so we're into our we're into our final segment now. Uh, earlier this year, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition was released. It was an amazing remaster of three of my favorite games of all time. Well, two of my favorite games of all time, and the first Mass Effect game. Um. Uh, and it was amazing. And I've re- finished it. Last time we spoke, you were replaying it. Have you finished it? Since? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did finish it. Um, probably two or three days after we spoke about it. Right. I am um, really good. Really good. Yeah, very yeah, much. It enjoy it, obviously. But yeah. Um,
0: and I think there's always quite a lot of issues with video game adaptations into TV or movie. They're never quite handled right. Um, the reason they're never handled right is because they don't have me and Rob working for them (laughs) they don't have us to create the perfect vision so that's what we're going to do we're going to talk about mass effect and how it can be brought to life so we're going to discuss whether it's going to be a movie or a series we're going to talk about its tone it's you know potential showrunner or director we're going to break down the story that we think it should tell Uh, and we're going to give you a little casting you know i was about to say a little casting couch there but that's not quite what i wanted I'll edit that out. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So to start with, what we going with? What do you think, a movie sort of franchise or like a limited series?
1: Okay, to to start with, I feel like um, what I've thought is going to be wildly different to what you've thought because I personally I like when you take the heart and soul of something and translate it into a different medium that reflects the heart and soul of the content, but not specifically the same thing again. I don't feel like there's, I would, I'm more interested in, in just kind of taking what what is Mass Effect and then translating it. So I would, first of all, it would be a series, I think, more than a movie, because if you are making a limited series, you do get more screen time, obviously. Um, and I think if you look at post-Breaking Bad TV, we tv has come a hell of a long way since uh, since the early 2003 2004 period so um so yeah would you do a movie or tv yeah so mine's a
0: series as well for, for yeah. those reasons tv's come a long way and particularly with the story we're talking about here where so much of it is about the journey itself and building this team around you and building relationships with the people in this team um, and establishing how fascinating a world this is i think if you try and put this into three two hour movies you lose everything you you lose so much whereas i think if you you know and i'll i'll i've i've, I've, I've broken down season by season what we're covering
1: oh cool, excellent
0: um but i think if you bring this into a you know a show where you have having 40 minutes to an hour per episode which gives you so much more room to breathe and i think that suits the medium of what Mass Effect is perfectly. Um, because like I said, the the whole premise of this is the relationships and these relationships that Shepard builds with with Tali and with Liara and Garrus and, you know, not Rex and everyone. Uh, it's this huge epic tale. And I think if you put it into, if you try and condense it into just six hours of a big screen experience, you lose the entire, you lose the yeah. heart. Um, I think it has to, it really has to be a show 100%.
1: Okay, so it sounds and I'm presuming here that you would, you would translate the story of the the actual games from Shepard going from the first human specter to stopping the collectors to kind of stopping the Reapers, but not really. Would you do a? So explain to me how the structure of yours would work in regards to that timeline and that story narrative okay, okay.
0: so I'll, I'll so my so my story breakdown i have it written down as five seasons okay so i'm not sure how i haven't worked out that episode count but it'd be between sort of like eight and ten but it'd be five seasons season one would essentially just be the first game and you can break each episode into each act of the game so you know episode one can be eden prime episode two can be when they go back to the citadel and you meet rex and Garrus and tally and you become the the, you become the first human specter and then we can go off to recruit liara and then episode four we can go to ferros episode five noveria and the rachni queen and so on and so forth i think that structure of that game because there's no you know there's no hugely important side missions there's no loyalty missions it fits very nicely into a single season i think Uh, And then where we go after that is sort of season two and three, we cover Mass Effect 2. So we expand it out. Season two would be uh, assembling the team, getting all these, you know, all these amazing characters together, bringing in Thane and Samara and visiting Ilium and re-recruiting Garrus and, you know, exploring what Cerberus is and exploring the Lazarus project. And season two would finish for those who played the game where you uh, visit the abandoned quote unquote collector ship that uh, the elusive man was aware is not uh, abandoned. And season two would finish there. Um, and it'd be this sort of big epic finale that just leaves you wanting more, it leaves you wanting to know where this goes after that. Season three is obviously the build up to the suicide mission. Yeah. Where all the episodes before that, you can, I think in this part, this is where I think the, the the show could really kick on and you can really develop characters. So you could do, not sort of, you know, it, it, it doesn't fit perfectly, but you could sort of do an episode per like loyalty mission and really have an episode dedicated, or really have a season dedicated to building these relationships before what feels like everyone about to die. Because that's how it feels in Mass Effect 2 it's constantly referred to as the suicide mission and you're going in being like i have no fucking idea who's going to come out of this alive and particularly the first time you play that game um because obviously if you've it's it's got a replayability to it now where you kind of know what you need to do to keep everyone alive before that you know i remember the the first time i played that game i lost like i think i lost four or five of the squad
1: yeah me me too um
0: gut-wrenching and I think you can really build these relationships and make people so invested in these characters by doing sort of the loyalty missions and really expanding on their backgrounds uh, and then we'd finish with the suicide mission um, and i think you do have to you do have to lose people if you're bringing it to the screen i think you have to lose people in that um, I know who I'd lose because there's characters and aspects who I don't like. Uh, Miranda. Oh, okay. Miranda Lawson can go fuck herself. No! Miranda, Miranda can go oh. fuck She's out. I love Miranda. Uh, <laughs> she's, dead. she's gone. She fucked up. Um, you could boss me around out. any day. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we get to season four and season five and we round out the show by doing this very sprawling mass effect 3 game where there are you know it's called in the game priority missions but there's so much to do so you could do the sort of all the priority missions where you go into the turian home world and the asari world and you go into to tachanka to cure the genophage but you're also going to uh, like jack's biotic academy and you're doing the leviathan dlc which is phenomenal and you could use that to really like on this to help the audience understand like what the reapers actually are um because without that dlc that's never really you don't really know what's happening with the reapers it's it's not really explain yeah. um and i think you could make it this very 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 epic show um, this, you know it's incredibly sprawling world with all these you know th- these amazing characters and it really culminates with that sort of final assault on earth um and you can have this amazing ending where i don't know i think if you're bringing it to bringing it to live action obviously you have to make a choice about what you're doing with the ending um but uh you could probably retcon something there to change it to make it slightly better than a Know, oh let me choose the colour of the explosion ending that you get <laughs> in Mass <Fantastic laughs> Effect 3 um, and, I, and it can finish with, you know, and, and Shepard's Tale, just to cut you off, just to finish, you can, you know, yeah. Shepard's Tale works perfectly, I think, in that format of getting to the very end and it finishing with that choice, but you seeing, as you do with the sort of extended cut that, that Bioware released for the game, um, and he's sort of, you know, a bit of a return of the Jedi feel where you, you know, you see all the galaxies celebrate after Palpatine's been defeated. <laughs> the, uh, <and> Audio <laughs> Paul, I threw some air quotes <laughs> in there because obviously Rise of, Rise of Skywalker just ruined everything for us. But um, yeah, you could, you know, you could finish with Shepard's Choice and, and sort of see the galaxy start to heal. You could see like uh, Krogan Children and, and, you know, Solarians and Krogan working together and Aquarians uh, back on their homeworld with no face masks, stuff like that. Um, and you can just finish with, like, a nice sort of coder like Mass Effect 3 sort of has. Um, yeah, I think that that's my that's my story structure. I sort of rambled a bit there because... Uh,
1: no, no, it's perfect. Um, um, if I was a uh, executive, you, you, I'd be handing you a blank check.
0: Go, go, make go make that. Give me that. Based on what you said, I'm... It, it sounds like you have something very different. Yes. <laughs>
1: okay. okay. So so I presumed you would do that, and I thought it would be boring for me to just agree with you. Um, so what I thought about was, if I was going to make this into a film or TV series, and I wasn't allowed to just transplant the story and the narrative from the games, what would I do? So I thought about my favourite types of fiction, and I thought about my favourite types of themes, and I thought about Mass Effect and what Mass Effect really is when you dig into the the, you know the grit of it, Um, and what I actually thought of, and I've I've written a few uh, quite a few notes actually because I quite like the idea. Am I right? I actually might write this into some form of um, fan fiction blog. We'll we'll see, Um, depending on if uh, if this is a good idea. So I was thinking, have and I only thought first series, I'll explain why after. First series or just one limited run series of this would be a entirely set on the Citadel. It would be entirely set before the effect the, the uh, what happens in Mass Effect one, basically. Um, but it technically wouldn't be a prequel because I've changed some of the story around. So the story itself would follow um C-Sec, and it would follow Garrus's specifically garris um trying to solve a, a not a, a murder but a, a kidnapping story someone's been kidnapped no one knows where this person has gone they're a human so if you played mass effect 2 you might know where i was going with that story thread um but then as the series goes on more humans start going missing um what i kind of wanted it to be was a not just a police procedural but also a um oh man politics again sorry but it's like a commentary on um racism and a commentary on um hierarchical structures because capitalism doesn't really exist in mass fed or does it question for another time um so um so this story would be, it would basically, I'd, I'd want to lean away from Blade Runner because every sci-fi dystopian future is Blade Runnery and the city is quite a nice place. But at the same time, I do want it to be dark enough that you can buy into the, the down on the ground. This person has gone and we don't know where they've gone. So it'd be interviews with uh, the family members, Um, of them being completely stressed there's no sign of this person and then as more people start going missing there'll be groups in the citadel like you see in mass effect two and three who are chanting about human supremacy and they're talking about how humans are going missing but the citadel and the council don't they're not doing enough to stop it Garrus, being effectively an alien quote-unquote oratorian would be stuck between His own personal beliefs, which at the start of the series would very much be, I have just got a job to do. I have a slight grudge against humans because a lot of people in MassFet do, because they're a new race of people, basically, within that kind of intergalactic uh, party. And um, over the the course, he would be affected by the drama of what was happening. He wouldn't become a human apologist or anything like that. But he would get to know humans in the show, and he would his opinion of them would change. Um, the people in the show who are the like almost white supremacists, but for humans in the show, would leave you as a viewer feeling con- conflicted because on the one hand you would see that the the kidnapping isn't getting the the the, the investigation isn't isn't huge. It's just Garrus. It's not getting the focus it deserves. But on the other hand, these are bad people. These are abhorrent racists um so i kind of like that dichotomy of leaving the viewer like oh much like someone like pierce morgan when he says something about the government you agree with but you know he is a horrible human being yeah <laughs> um you can agree with someone on something and dislike them in every other aspect i want to challenge and question the hero structure that we in terms of a society put in terms of media and in terms of the news uh, and fiction as a whole on people who are bulletproof and I'm not suggesting by any way shape or form that this is an original idea because obviously we've had anti-heroes forever but I do I would like this series to look into what it means to be good bad what it means to be a fully rounded person Um, and I thought the twist at the end, I thought, could be that Sarin is the CSEC chief boss. And the twist at the end would be that Sarin was not only aware but complicit with the disappearances of the humans. And then when Garrus finds this out, there is a conflict. And then Sarin escapes at the end. And then at the end, Garrus leaves CSEC disgusted with the way that it's all been handled and ends up eventually joining Shepherd later down the line in a,
0: like a little retcon of their sort of their R exactly.
1: Origin. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah that that's that's what I would do.
0: So I like this. So I so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this towards Star Wars a little bit. And it, I think it, it makes me laugh a little bit. So my show is yeah you know, my pitch is this sort of like very classic adaptation. It's then it's it, and my, my my idea for it would be this sort of like sci fi western. Yeah. And You know, it's it's not the parallel doesn't really exist, but you know, I'm very much the sort of John Favreau creating the Mandalorian. You're very much Ryan Johnson with The Last Jedi here. (laughs) Very much so.
1: Yeah, I'm just like, here's this,
0: here's this like you know, series of side quests episode by episode, you're gonna have fun you not necessarily going to think too deep about it, but you're going to have fun. You're going to enjoy it. I promise. And you're the <laughs> Ryan Johnson being like, I'm a Jedi. Good guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> me, I love that me, so let much. Let make you think about some shit. <laughs> um, I love that, man. I think that's great. I really, really dig that. And I think when you get these, when you get these sort of big stories, obviously this, you know, Star Wars and Mass Effect are a bit, you know, they're very different. You know, what is arguably the biggest ip in the world definitely in the top two and one is currently just a video game uh you know i think it's still important though when you sort of come into it and you you do ask those questions like what is it about being what is what does it mean to be a hero you know are heroes these perfect creatures are all they or are they quite fallible um you know and that's the things one of the things that we both love about the last jedi and what ryan johnson did with that story is asking whether jedi are fallible and um and you know they're not necessarily the heroes of these stories you know everyone's flawed um i love that story man i think that's great oh thank you well um definitely I, I, definitely I'm, do it as a little fanfic
1: yeah i was thinking about that it might get me back into writing yeah um, um, that's go, a little fanfic. i think that's great man. I, leading back into loki in a weird circular route um loki does say at one point mobius um not all the good guys aren't really that good and the bad guys aren't really that bad yeah um And I enjoy that kind of philosophy that narrative cinema requires a villain and a hero. Um, But I like the idea that at the end of the day, people are people, and there are obviously horrible people. And if you're going to have a villain in something like that, they're going to be pretty horrible. Um, But your hero doesn't need to be the exact opposite in every way and some similarities are can be unnerving for an audience in some way shape or form when it comes to brutality when it comes to police violence and stuff like that i i definitely have some if i if that, if in an alternate well so basically string theory and alternative universes every possibility becomes a reality on a long enough timeline so there is actually that series out there um scientifically fact done it's out wait. there somewhere I can't, I can't
0: wait to see it um, uh <laughs> I, I do agree with the point though like not, not every hero has to be clark kent or steve rogers sometimes throwing in a throwing in some gray is is important and, and throwing in some like very moral, morally questionable characters even if they are your heroes um i think it's important um,
1: that's probably why deadpool did so well because people were like oh finally not a straight-laced hero. Yeah, and he's, he's
0: there's something very I mean we've gone from Mass Effect to Deadpool, but sorry. <laughs> it's, no, it's fine. I, this i quite, quite I, I love to say conversational <laughs> stuff. Um, there's something sort of very accessible about Deadpool because you don't he's this sort of anti-hero who, you know, who isn't a straight-laced guy, but you don't have to think too hard. You know, yeah. Um, you don't have to it's not like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi where you know, it created this mad discourse about you know what the fuck is going on what's happening why is he doing this why is he doing this he should be doing this you know this isn't the luke i want this is the luke i want you know there's something very sort of very straightforward about deadpool um but it is important to have characters like that it's important to have characters that make you question your own expectations um and And yeah i can't in in some sort of future alternate timeline i can't wait to see that show man like as you said it's already been made Who, who's, who's made it? Let's, let's, let's talk about showrunners.
1: Okay. Um, so, um, so I, I was thinking, um, Ridley Scott, and now I've said that out loud, I've realized that I was just thinking Blade Runner the whole time, but it's near impossible to get away from it. But these days, uh, Ridley is doing some, um, controversial and mediocre films. And I feel like it'd be good for his career to get back into something that was written by someone else, um, that he couldn't fuck up, um, so um, so yeah. I pass this to Ridley and say, "Here is the script, okay? Um, do not change this. Uh of you meddling, and don't get your brother. Oh wait, wait, take that back. Edit out. Ah, and don't get anyone to uh, to mess I'm not with this." Edit that, um,
0: Tony Tony Scott's like one of my favorite directors of all time. That was incredibly <laughs> offensive. <laughs> Sorry,
1: Tony. He might have another brother. To be fair, I think does Ridley be- have a? think Hey Siri.
0: She's got actually good. responded to that. Um, so you've got um, Ridley Scott. I've I've got two. Yeah. So I'm going into I'm going into the studio with with this this sort of story and saying you can have option A or option B. One tone is a bit more like you know sci-fi western action, but there's a lot of levity to it. And if you choose that option, uh, you've got John Favreau who's your showrunner look at what he's done with yeah. it's super fun uh it handles some stuff that's like a bit more serious but it does it with a constant tone of fun john favreau's your showrunner for that option if you want to go super dark we get really into lore and it gets heavy and there's some like explicit sex scene between Shepard and like tally and it just gets fucking <laughs> weird. option b uh I'm throwing all the money in the world. And I know you were saying keep going back to Blade Runner. I'm throwing all the money at Denis Villeneuve. Uh, oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: And, 2049
1: is my is my go-to, to be fair. yeah. And fair. I'm just
0: saying, look, he can do he can do sci-fi. He's done Blade Runner. Obviously, he's got Dune coming out. Um, <laughs> he can do super dark stuff. Um, Prisoners, which I think is his first English language movie, which is um Jay Gyllenhaal Hall and Hugh Jackman, it is an amazing thriller. Uh, yeah, really,
1: really dark.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, if you want to go in that angle, and you want to like make this like a eleven o'clock, you know, eleven o'clock show on like HBO in the states, and like we're banging on Sky Atlantic at like one o'clock in the morning. You have to put your pin number in when you watch it on Netflix because it's so fucking weird. <laughs> That's the guy uh, for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving the studio choice.
1: You could do um you could have half Favreau and half Dennis. You could have the first first half of it really like pow, punch, quip, and then the second half of it just staring into a black hole. Yeah, we're just like
0: until <laughs> you know, we introduce like the Leviathan DLC, and then we bring Villeneuve never in. And it's just like <laughs> it's super intense. <laughs> cool. So let's 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 round it off. Let's because our, our, our stories are quite different now. So this 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 conversation's a little bit different. So obviously I was gonna I was assuming that you were going to follow, not necessarily the same story, <laughs> yes. the story of the game. I so knew you, you would. You've thrown a curveball at me. So, so obviously yours is about Garrus. Yes. So let's start there. I'm assuming we're motion capturing this then.
1: Uh, no, it would be, I would, I would demand it would be physical effects for as much as possible of it. I would not be motion capturing any of it. Um, okay, wow. It would all be, it would all be on sets. It would all be prosthetics. Um, if there was any CG, it would be because there, we literally couldn't do it physical. And uh, yeah, like Christopher Nolan, it basically.
0: Okay, so who is who is your Garris?
1: Okay, Garris. <laughs> I'm actually quite scared about where this is going. Garris, Christian Bale.
0: Okay, I kind of dig that. I dig that man. <laughs> I
1: dig that so much. Because I'd have Bailey in there. Do you remember Bailey? The CSEC sec yeah, uh, desk cop? I'd have Bailey played by Sean Bean, which I think they they could bounce off each other. <laughs> oh I'd God. have okay. jo- Josh Brolin as Saren.
0: I think tell me about Al Pacino as Councillor Udina for fuck's sake.
1: And Liara would be in there for a little bit, so I do fancy Liara. Um, and she would be uh, Zoe Saldana. Or well, Zoe Saldana would be Yeah, yes,
0: I mean uh, I've got I've got Zoe Saldana cast as Miley Aura as well um oh wow I feel quite Is that because <laughs> it's because of Avatar right it's because of Avatar and Gamora I feel like she's just yeah. nailed being alien women
1: yeah yeah it's true the um yeah Sean Bean and Christian Bale I feel like a Garris Bailey Jesus they could bro. you know Bailey's kind of sarcastic and it hasn't had enough of the world and Garris doesn't really have any form of sarcasm and just says what he feels most who, of the time. Who was
0: your Saren, Josh Brolin?
1: Uh, yes, Josh Brolin, because um, Josh Brolin can play uh, like stern but fair and also very evil. Yeah. Um, so you, I feel like I could buy Josh as a uh, you know a, a police chief, and then as the series goes on, just gets a little bit more sinister and more sinister and more sinister until he's an outright baddie.
0: Yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay, so I've I've got a little bit different. So I'm I can't believe you you don't have a shepherd. Um, (laughs) shepherd. So my my mass effect obviously the main character will be Commander Shepherd. Uh I am gonna go with a male shepherd. Okay Um, and it's quite a basic answer, I think. I think the rest of my answers are a bit more fun, but my 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 commander shepherd is Henry Cavill.
1: Um, fair uh he just yeah, wants yeah, a,
0: yeah. A, like a square-jawed action star who you know of, of all the characters in mass effect commander shepherd shepherd is arguably the weakest you know do you
1: feel like in the game commander shepherd is a cypher for you quite a lot of it's way he is yeah in your version of the tv series does he have more of a personality but or is he just a cipher for the audience
0: he's more of a, a cipher for the audience that's okay, how I'm enough. carrying on so I want someone who you know can believably be like a I said a human superhero which is what he essentially is he can believably that be that he's you know looks like he could be like a charismatic very handsome leader of people and can inspire people but I want the the audience to fall in love with the characters around him not necessarily him he's okay. sort of the audience placeholder um who will make some big decisions but they'll all be influenced by the characters around him so the characters around them is who i've got sort of gone all out for with the cast al pacino is in there somewhere um, oh brilliant yeah man uh so yeah henry cavill's my shepherd um i've mentioned al pacino so al pacino is my elusive man
1: oh oh actually yeah no i did that that'd be great
0: Alpacino is my yeah. elusive man. Uh, you know, I know Martin Sheen plays him brilliantly in the in the games and stuff. Al Pacino is one of my favorite actors of all time. And I'm t- I'm altering the character a little bit. And Al Pacino, I'm gonna tell him to bring his character from Heat. Um, <laughs> so the elusive man He's... is gonna be the elusive Vincent Hannah. That's amazing. So, you know, gimme all your got. <laughs> <laughs> just giving that constantly um, so that's that's what we're going for with this oh, just, uh, just it, i'm assuming that whoever i'm pitching this to warner brothers or netflix or whatever they're gonna be like yeah let's go for like the lighter tone so uh yeah i'm just gonna throw in some al pacino comedy um <laughs> when he's in a room with miranda you can just be like she's got a great ass <laughs> yeah. If you haven't no seen heat, these <laughs> references are lost on you. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're going with Albertino as the elusive man. Excellent. Um, Love it. Yeah. Henry Cavill uh, as Shepard. Uh, as I mentioned, Zoe Saldana will be Liara. Um, yeah. And then a few other castmates, a few other sort of squadmates that I wanted to cast. Um, I would bring in Zoe Kravitz as Jack. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really I like Zoe Kravitz. I think she's great um and she has like quite a lot of she can bring quite a lot of attitude to her roles and I think she'd work really well in that um and then I wanna so all of my I should say would all be mocapped apart from okay. um uh, like all the human characters obviously and then um Liara I think you could do you could do practical makeup on that um, and then my Talizora would obviously be you could just you'd have to mo cap that as well you can just make a suit um so the two others i want to do would be the voice for tally's aura and the voice for grunt okay these are the ones i've struggled with um because i think for tally you have to bring someone in who can really like really throw in like that naivety that just sort of exists in that character's voice and i really struggle with that and then for grunt you want someone to come in who's got that like, gravitas yeah So for grunt my my grunt will actually probably be josh brolin Okay. Cool. I'd probably I'd probably bring in Thanos as Josh Brolin, um, like that voice. I think that'd be really good. Um, but my Tally, that's where I want to round out like the main cast, and I need your help with Tally's voice.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and I think it's I think it's quite difficult. There was uh... no, a. I have to IMDb it. it. I... Are the people who, you know, if we're, if we're bringing someone in who's got you know that sort of. In fact, I've rambled a bit there, but I've actually just got my answer. I'm bringing okay. in, Elizabeth, I'm bringing in Elizabeth Olson. Ah, uh, fair, okay. Elizabeth Olsen's going to be my, my my tally as well as my Wanda Maximov. She's going to bring in that Sokovian accent, which yeah. is like the sort of hammed up Eastern European accent that she does. And uh, yeah, so she's going to be my tally, and she's my Shepherd's love interest. So. Uh, there we go. I think, to be honest, I don't think it matters who I cast, really, because I've got Al Pacino as the elusive man and he's just going to steal every scene and no one's going to care about anything else.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've seen... Have you, did you watch Homeland?
0: Uh, the Claire Dane show? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen season one.
1: There's a character in the later series um, who I've, I've not seen it in anything else, but actually looking at her uh, IMDb, she's mostly in romantic comedies which is probably why oh and and uh foreign films that i've not seen um nimrat car plays a character in um homeland who is basically this she's um she's almost a spy but she's not she's like a dignitary but she's kind of a badass um and her character in the in the um is tasneem in homeland um she walks that edge of being kind of a bad and now you said um, you know you I, I, w- I would like someone like that to be my tally because I actually don't really like the whole I don't know the I think there's some of the attributes of tally in the video game that I'm just like ah, oh, does she have to be like this like just wanted to be a bit more she's from the migrant fleet man she should be a bit more badass. So yeah someone someone a bit more like her who is actually from the Middle East rather than have someone who you know is uh, pre- like a white person pretending. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I think that's, uh, it's an interesting character and I just, I wouldn't do what the games did with Tally because I just, she's she is childlike and I'm not sure that's a quality that I enjoy in that character, but she's got such a cool backstory and her, her homeland's cool and, you know, Migrant Fleet's cool. I'm, I, I love that when you go to the Migrant Fleet, is it two that you go to the Migrant
0: Fleet? Yeah, you go in two because her loyalty is do- there, yeah.
1: You Have to defend her in court, that's so cool. That's so badass. I mean, quite a lot of them are dickheads, but um, yeah, Yeah,
0: they're all cunts, man. (laughs) We've gone off our show now. (laughs) Now We're just, I'm just, I want to give a little review of the tally loyalty mission. What they're all (laughs) into cunts, man. All of those,
1: yeah, they're all dickheads. Yeah, they want her her dead, don't they? Or or ex, what's it? Um, exiler, exiled. Yeah, she wants they want her exiled. Well, um, I think this is the only run. that I did last time I played it, where I actually managed to have it, so that she wasn't ex exiled. I think that every other one she's been exiled, and I, th- I don't know if it's because I didn't have enough Paragon or Renegade. Yeah. But this time I stood up in court and I was like, "Yeah, you're all dickheads," and she's going to stay. And they all went, "No, go on then." Yeah, Great. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So there, are, there, are, we've done we've done pretty different Mass Effect shows there, which I think is quite good. Like you said, like it's good approaching it from different ways. Mine is a much more classic. Uh, Adaptation, mm. and yours is a very original take on an existing IP. Uh, I think yeah. we've both done good with it, and I think both of those can exist simultaneously. Oh, for sure. Yeah,
1: um, I would definitely watch your show. Just to be clear, um, I just thought it would be interesting because I knew I knew that you would do yeah. to I, I to make episode. something to make something completely different. Because um, I thought it'd be fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, it was good. I would really enjoy that, man. Uh, I'm <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing your show. Good. I might. I might throw a little poll up on Instagram once this goes live and see uh, see if anyone wants the vote one would show they, they prefer. Uh, That'd be cool. Let's know. Yeah, man. But uh, no, so cool. That's been that's been the Face podcast episode three. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about Loki episode four. Oh, it's annoying that there we're like slightly out of order. That's going to piss me off. That. We're going to wind me up uh so about next week to talk about loki episode four and in the meantime me and rob are gonna have a little bit of a brainstorm about what segment we're gonna do then as well i've got a few ideas uh so we'll share them we'll have a little whatsapp and we'll work it out but until then uh everyone look after yourselves enjoy loki next week watch movies play games be yourselves and we'll talk to you next week
1: stay safe